welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not recording this podcast or writing about training, nutrition, and adventuring, I am hopefully outside training and adventuring with good nutrition. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and you are here on the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we look at all different types of sports and movements and the people that do them, and we try and learn things that we can apply back to the different sports and movements that we do. Oh man, only three years and you finally like nailed that. Oh, I just practice in the mirror. Good job. I'm so impressed. Just got to make your everyday stance your battle stance. And Mm. here we are. I like it. I like it. So we have had a pretty busy week, I'm going to say. Sea Otter came to Canada. For those of you who don't know, Sea Otter is a major bike festival that's held every year in Monterey, California. It's, you know, I think probably the biggest bike expo in the world at this point. Um, Super fun outside, tons of like demos, tons of racing around it, lots of unveilings. And yeah, they finally brought it to Canada, actually to the town we live in. So this weekend we got to check that out. We got to be part of it. I did some book signings. We did a kitty clinic. And yeah, it was a really, really fun experience. The weather could not have been better. And it was great seeing a ton of people and seemed... Seemed like a lot of people had fun with all of the different things. It was exciting seeing dual slalom brought back to Canada. Yeah, I guess I don't. I guess it was here. Uh, you but... missed it. I saw. I was there on Friday and I saw it. It was pretty cool. No, I just mean like we had. I don't know if we ever had. Oh, like, oh I gotcha. Like I, we definitely have had dual slalom races, but I don't know that it was quite the what it was in the states. Yeah, Sea Otter in California is one of the only places that still has it, and it's kind of weirdly, wildly popular there, and it's a super fun, spectator-friendly thing. You can, I think because, like, unlike downhill, where you're just kind of seeing one person come down a run, you really get to gauge people's speed better because it's two people coming down at the same time. Well, and you can see the whole run. Like, downhill, <laughs> you can only see a small portion. Yeah. Yeah, so that was fun. And then Sunday I had my first, uh, I'm going to quote unquote say race of the, like since May. I, because of Sea Otter and some other stuff, I haven't had a chance to sign up for any ultra runs. So I said to my coach that I couldn't do the race that I had originally kind of put on the calendar as a maybe, but I would still want to do, you know, some kind of race simulation. So we just put it on my calendar that Sunday I had a, you know, really, really burly trail run and to kind of take it like a race. Um, and I had the best time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you sort of, you ran 26, 27 miles. 27 miles. Yeah. And no one was there except for me to see it. Yeah, which is funny. Seth Godin just had a blog about how marathoning is easier when you have the crowd and the finish line and blah, blah, blah. But like going out on your own and doing a solo marathon is hard. But that's the one that's much closer to like the grind of the the work day when you're really going for for something. It's not always going to be the shiny finish line. It's often just going to be the sort of smelly van that you get back to and... Yeah, I think there's a wisdom there, right? That a lot of the, the stuff we do, whether that's in life as parents or, or spouses or... Just put this at... I feel like every once in a while you drop something that suggests that we might be parents. Right. Uh, <laughs> we are not. But yes, whether you're a spouse or a parent or starting a business, and a lot of that goes unsung, right? There's, mm-hmm. And I think as an athlete, as a consummate athlete, there's a lot of day-to-day grind that goes on song. Yeah, and I think 
I think what I actually realized yesterday is honestly, I think I had more fun doing that than I have in any race. It was, and I think my time was actually better than most races, despite similar terrains and elevations and stuff. I was just, you know, kind of in my own happy zone. And yeah, it was just a really, really great experience. It makes me think that maybe chasing some FKTs actually is something that makes a lot of sense for me, just with how I prefer running. Right. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, and you had some camp stuff this week. Yeah, also, I mean, it's been nice this whole week with Sea Otter, and then we did uh, some provincial camps this week just in Collingwood. We have really nice rocky trails with big, big for Ontario climbs and descents, obviously. Uh, so we had Team Ontario here and did two really sweaty, humid days, which is good, good adaptation. Uh, and so it was really cool just seeing everyone just mountain biking for four or five hours. And then after those two days, we went to the Nationals course, which is nearby in Barrie, Ontario, at Hardwood Ski and Bike. And lo and behold, all the athletes are in pretty good shape after just sort of getting out there and having fun for four or five days on really technical mountain bike terrain. Uh, all of a sudden, the race isn't so bad. So I think what we're kind of relearning is, uh, you know, we sometimes get really caught up in the race and the race results and all of that stuff. But really, we kind of need to focus on getting back to that stuff that we actually love about the sport to begin with. I think that's probably one of the best ways to avoid, you know, burning out in sport and, you know not letting sport kind of take over as this negative in your life. Well, I think, you know, we get a lot of questions about like racing more and group rides and all this stuff, right? And I think a lot of us, some of us came into it that way, but a lot of us come into it, you know, just going for rides with friends or something, right? And and I think also my sort of, can you prepare for the goal that you've set? Um, some of us have goals that maybe don't align with what we want to do. You know, you obviously identify with your goals in running long distances and, you know, ultra running sort of lends itself to sort of running essentially on your own. You maybe see people along the way, but you're sort of on your own mission, even in a bigger race, right? Yeah. So I think just making sure that if you're a mountain biker, that you like mountain biking and, you know, you do a lot of mountain biking, right? And that doesn't fit into everyone's life and everyone's location. And that's okay. We sometimes have to evolve, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. So before we tie that all into today's guest, just a quick announcement. We're We've been doing a lot of these camps and clinics and stuff, and we really enjoy doing them. And we're actually like super booked up for most of the summer at this point, but we are starting to book in like cyclocross clinics for the fall. Yeah, I have uh, mid-August already. We have a couple, so. Yeah, and we're doing them both in Ontario, but also down in, you know, the Northeast, we'll say, uh, because we get Certainly. down to... like October we're down through, so yeah, definitely. There's yeah. a lot. So if you're interested in that or a Shred Girls event and you're kind of in that Northeast area or up here in Ontario, definitely hit us up. You can find us on theconsummateathlete.com or at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford on Instagram and Twitter. Right. Um, So to turn back to today's topic, we are talking to Kathy Herzog all about anxiety and athletes. Um, she is a psychologist and she works, you know, a lot with anxiety. She's an athlete herself. So if there's one thing she really understands, it's, you know, the everyday anxieties that go along with being an athlete, race day anxiety, but then also she understands how athletics actually helps us with anxiety and depression and things like that. And she's a little different. We've had a lot of sport psychologists on or, and mental performance consultants but she is uh, actually, actually a licensed psychologist. So a little different take on this, right? Like this is like normal people having, you know, mental 
uh, what's the word for this? Not, well, not conditions, but just like things like anxiety, right? Yeah. So we're not just kind of talking more in the sports psychologist realm of goal setting and visualization right. and focus during races. We're really talking a lot more about just kind of day to day mental wellness is a term that I really actually lo- I love. I talked to another psychologist about this for an article I was doing and he pointed out we're so quick to talk about mental illness, but we so rarely use the phrase mental wellness. Right. And, you know, kind of talk about what it means to have a really, you know, solid, healthy mental state. Uh, we generally don't tend to it until we're kind of already into that trouble yeah. zone. No, that is interesting because you, you certainly would talk about like, you know, I have a, a question on my intake form for coaching and training plans about like sort of ranking your wellness in a, alongside like your technical skill for for sport, but, um, you know, I don't ask about their level of sickness, you know, it's Mm -hmm. sort of the other side of the coin though, I guess. Right. Yeah. So I thought that was, that was super interesting. Kathy brings, you know, a ton of information to the table, you know, not just about how to deal with race day, but also, you know, how to look at your life in general and, you know, what are some of the kind of warning signs that sport might be, you know, hindering as much as it's helping. And we kind of go around that a little bit because, you know, the flip side is for a lot of athletes, you get into this sport to help alleviate anxiety. I know for me, running is probably what saved me from having really serious issues with anxiety or depression. But, you know, the flip side of the coin is when you're racing and trying to be competitive, sometimes you can end up bringing up those anxieties and those, you know, symptoms of depression. And it's sort of like I was saying with the the camp uh, where we're hoping that, like, everyone's having fun and socializing and stuff, right? And then through that, we're accomplishing goals along technical skill and fitness and and these sort of things. Um, And getting away from that, like, very, like, comparing all the athletes to each other and having to perform at your peak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think a lot of us end up missing that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I've said on the podcast before, like, I don't know what I would do if I didn't have all these memories of riding with friends for a bunch of hours just chatting, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's interesting. It'll be interesting to see where she comes at this uh, from that clinical perspective, right? That sort of normal person. Mm-hmm. I guess the other thing you mentioned to me that was interesting in this was the idea that, you know, as an athlete, you're already doing the movement, the exercise that, you know, maybe might be prescribed or, or hopefully prescribed uh, for something like anxiety, right? Yeah, so then exactly. what do you do when you're already exercising, but you have anxiety? Yeah. And one thing Kathy actually emailed me about after we had this talk is what she wanted to mention was, we often think about anxiety as a thing that we need to get rid of. But it's, it's not necessarily a thing that we need to get rid of. It's a thing that we want to try to accept and deal with and, you know, kind of accept that it's part of who we are and it's okay. And, you know, to be honest, you're probably never going to eradicate anxiety entirely. Like that's part of being human. We almost wonder, yeah, like would it be odd if you don't have anxiety because there's no unknowns, right? You almost don't want (laughs) to, yeah, you you wouldn't want to live without any level of that. Otherwise, you just live a very gray life, I think. Well, it'd be hard to go into something like a race, certainly, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or a relationship or a new job or something, right? Like, I think it's normal to feel that. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, that's just one little little memo she wanted to leave. And we have tons of extra information from her that'll be available in the show notes over at consummateathlete.com. And if you have any other questions around these topics, or we've had a couple more come in about motivation and racing, uh, if you have any you know, questions that are specific around that, definitely hit us up on our contact form. All right, thanks, and enjoy this episode. 
Kathy, first of all, what's your athletic background? We're going to get into the professional side of things, but what, what's your background yeah. as an athlete? So, so when I was a kid, I did um, a lot of horseback riding. So I, was, I did dressage and um, horse shows and stuff like that. Um, and then went off to college and kind of between, between the horseback riding and going to college, the gym, this ages me, I'm 56 years old. So gym fix is really, really popular at that time. So I got really into running okay. <laughs> like before college from that book that he wrote. Um, and then I joined the crew team and I rode, I rode for four years in college, um, which I, very much enjoyed and sort of thought that I would continue rowing when I got out, but it's more difficult than one might think to mm-hmm. be able to row when you're not living in a sort of in a college atmosphere. Um, and so then I don't know if this is even a sport, but I did dog agility and competitive dog training with my dogs for many years. What? <laughs> so I did That's like amazing. competitive obedience. Yeah, that was really fun. It was great. Um, and it was, it was sort of the wild wild west of agility because it hadn't really become a thing yet when I was doing it so it was, it was just a lot of fun oh that's um, so good if by the way you're gonna have to come back on and talk about agility once we actually get a dog and I start training it <laughs> <laughs> it's a blast it's very addictive I warn you it's like it just dogs just love it so much and it's and it's it's really fun to do something that an animal really enjoys like you know, I, I had done dressage, which horses don't really love. And so doing something with a dog, which it's like, yeah, you know, yeah. this is awesome. Oh, this is great. Really this might actually sell Peter on getting a dog. If I'm like, we can train it. It's going to be super I don't fun. Know. It's very athletic. He sounded awfully reluctant about that. I but. know. I know. I'm going to win. <laughs> I just need to prove that I'm going to be home for, you know, more than four weeks. And I think I'll be yeah. there. But. Okay. Well, well, we'll stay tuned for that one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then there was sort of a pause in what I was doing because I went to graduate school, which is all-consuming. And then um, about six years ago, maybe five years ago, I started really getting into going to the gym and lifting weights and running again. And then I got a bike, and then I got into duathlon. And so for about the past four years, I've been doing duathlon and some time trials on my bike and I did a little bit of cyclocross although that kind of freaked me out and (laughs) and (laughs) my bike handling skills are not when you get older your center I don't know if your center of gravity changes but anyway it was challenging um and so now I'm just I'm doing sort of mostly multi-sport stuff but I do I'll do, I, I have like a, a, ra- a road race in a couple of weeks and so I'll mix it up a little bit and I'll do some Grand Fondos and I'll do some duathlons and stuff like that. Oh, and I go to the awesome. gym and do yoga. Yeah. Okay. That's why I like your show so much because it's sort of address. it's sort of like people who do everything. That's what I like. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, every year I try to focus on a different thing and then I end up being, whatever I'm focusing on ends up being the thing that I don't want to do. So if I'm like focused on running, <laughs> suddenly I like, all I want to do is ride my bike. <laughs> so I think I need to be some kind of multi-sport, otherwise I'm miserable. <laughs> so I understand you have a, that. You have a paradoxical mind. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> 
Um, and then, okay, give us the, the quick rundown of your professional career and why grad school took so darn long. Yeah. <laughs> well, as it turns out, yeah, so I, um, let's see, I went to school and I got, and I, and I misguidedly, and if you keep this in the show, anybody who's thinking about getting a master's degree in counseling psychology, don't do it because <laughs> it's an absolute go-nowhere degree. So I got, after getting out of college, I did two years of training for a master's degree in counseling psych and then worked for a couple of years and then went back and got my doctorate in, in clinical psychology and um, have been practicing psychology for almost 20 years now. Um, and I have a mixed practice, so I see people for therapy. I see a lot of people who have anxiety problems and post-traumatic stress disorder and trauma. Um, but I also... I work part-time at a psychiatric hospital for people with long-term mental illness. And um, I also do forensic psychology. So I do evaluations for criminal defense attorneys. Oh, there's the siren. <laughs> and um, <laughs> and uh, uh, so that keeps me pretty busy. I do sort of three different things in my practice, okay, which so I really enjoy. You and I have a lot yeah. in common then because what you're doing in psychology is really similar to, I think, what I do in, in writing where there's not yeah. like one one main thing I like being able to do all of these different angles and exactly. takes on stuff. Okay, so yeah. before, I, before I dive into anxiety and all of that, which I'm very excited to talk about, I have to ask, forensic psychology, is it like an episode of Criminal Minds every day? <laughs> no, it's probably much more boring than that. Um, I mean, I um, I find it fascinating, but I think many people would find it pretty dull. So it's it's working with defense attorneys. There are all different kinds of forensic psychologists. Some people do things like um, custody stuff for children and mm -hmm. um, that kind of thing. But I I work with the with in the criminal courts with adults, so I do. You know, is someone competent to stand trial? What was their state of mind at the oh, time okay. that they committed the offense? That kind of thing. So I do quite a bit of court testimony and evaluations and things like that. Yeah. Okay. So much less exciting, but still really cool. <laughs> it's really, I find it really interesting. It's yeah. very intellectually stimulating. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, that never, sounds really neat. No, one day is never, you know, you don't have a typical day. Every mm -hmm. day is different. Um, so the other thing I noticed that was really interesting in your bio is that you have training and an interest in clinical hypnosis. So I have to, yeah. I have to say I, for bicycling a few years ago, I wrote an article on, um, I went to a sports specific hypnotherapist in order to oh, try wow. to get better at mountain bike skills and get mm -hmm. over some of my hurdles. And I ended up recommending her to a couple of friends who had I'm going to say much better results than I did because I'm still a total baby when it comes to mountain bike obstacles. But talk to me about that. How did you get interested in it? And yeah, tell me all about it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Um, so I can't remember exactly how I got it. There's a large community in the Boston area of psychologists and other mental health professionals who tr have been trained um, in hypnotherapy. There's, we're sort of the seed of the New England Society for Clinical Hypnosis, and so we're lucky enough to have some really wonderfully talented people around here. So I went to, I think I initially did it like as a continuing education workshop just out of curiosity, and then I got really, really hooked on it and really interested in it, um, and took 
a lot of pretty intensive training and was part of a peer supervision group for a number of years where we would talk about our, we would meet once a month and talk about our practice. Um, hypnosis is really, really fascinating because it's sort of, I think, an example of how powerful the mind is and mm-hmm. how powerful the mind can be. I, I sort of similar to, to what it sounds like you are, and that unfortunately, I am not an innately um, hypnotically talented person. So everyone is born with um, a talent for hypnosis, and just they're born with, with certain physical talents. You know, mm-hmm. Some people have a higher view to connect than other people, and you just have that. Not anything you can really do about that. Um, and unfortunately, mine is very low. So <laughs> 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 this has never worked for me particularly. Um, as an intervention for anxiety, but I've seen it work with with patients that I have. Let's get to the the big topic, anxiety and athletes. So this is such a huge topic. I mean, there's so many different ways we can look at it, right? There's there's the actual race day anxiety, there's training anxiety, and then there's just anxiety in real life that's gonna bubble over into our training and affect us physically. So can, right. can you speak to how anxiety in general can kind of affect us physically and as athletes? Yeah. So, um, you know, anxiety, it's sort of an easy or a sort of accessible way to understand anxiety is it's often when the mind is either focused on what's happened in the past or excessively focused on what might happen more more typical what might happen in the future mm-hmm. and not focused on what's happening in this current moment in time and that's you know that's sort of a helpful way to understand anxiety in terms of um, athletic performance because when we're experiencing that then we're often not performing at our best <laughs> and particularly with things that require a lot of attention and focus like running and, and cycling um, if you're thinking about, you know, if you're not thinking about what's happening in that very moment in time, um, you're probably not going to be doing your best. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it it can be incredibly intrusive and um, sort of controlling, you know. And as as we all know, I think it's all it's almost. I mean, it's almost so common that a lot of people aren't even aware that they're having anxiety when they're having anxiety because it's with them all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and I think what's interesting, and I think for most people who listen to this podcast, they're pretty like avid athletes. A lot of the time, right. one of the like prescriptions for anxiety is to get out and get exercise. But I think right, for yeah. a lot of people listening to this, we're like, but exercise is part of what's causing my anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and as I was thinking about talking to you today, I was thinking about sort of the link between anxiety and confidence and mm-hmm. how often, um, you know, if you're feeling um, a lack of confidence about something, whether that's skill that you're trying to get better at in your sport or, um, or you know, a particular work um, workout that your, your coach has given you that you're not so sure you can do, then, you know, usually your anxiety is going to go up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I, and I certainly experienced that, that on a personal level of sort of, you know, 
yeah there's a sort of fulcrum there's a fulcrum point between those two those two things. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, honestly, I find, you know, the more anxious I am in regular life, you know, if I've had like a tiff with an editor or, you know, something like that, uh, the less well my workout is uh, going to go. Right, right. Yeah. And there, and there is a lot, I mean, there's a lot of research fairly recently, and I'm not going to be able to quote it, but about positive self-talk and how important that is. And, and I think, that, you know, if we've had conflicts during our day or if we're not feeling good about ourselves or we know that we're going to be doing something that we don't think we're particularly good at and we start sort of beating ourselves up um, in our heads, that really has an impact. And and I've been sort of playing with this a little bit, like, run, you know, by running on the track and sort of if I think negative things, my pace slows down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I'm not sure if I'm good this making this may could just it's not a very scientific study and or um you know but if i if I sort of am cheerleading myself in my head, my case can go up so um it's very interesting to note what your mind is giving you and telling you yeah and the car the correlation with your performance yeah, absolutely. So. Um, yeah. So with that, where does the like fake it till you make it kind of thing come in? Because I know with positive <laughs> self-talk, it's, you know, a lot of the time we're, we're trying to be positive, but we're, we're kind of lying yeah. to ourselves and we sort of know we're lying yeah. to ourselves. Yeah, no, it's really, I think that's that you make a really good point that it's really important to be, you have to be genuine. Like you're, you have, it has to come, you have to find something that you can genuinely tell yourself that you believe on some level to be true um but i don't think fake it till you make it works with with that yeah (laughs) very well (laughs) it works in a lot of other ways in in sport i think you know but um not so much with with Mm self-talk because we all know when we're bsing ourselves (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah Um, yeah so is there are there any kind of like signs that anxiety is starting to get out of control? In because I mean, honestly, like let's be real, we all have anxiety. Um, what are sort yeah. of some of like the signs that it's you know okay, this is actually getting to be problematic, not just everyday life anxiety from being human. Yeah, right. So I, I mean, I think there's there's a couple of things. I mean, one is that you can look for if if you're if it's starting to be a pattern. Um, so if it's, you know, you're doing really great in workouts and then, but every time you go um, to a race, the things that you've been able to crush in workouts don't look so good. Um, it's a sort of very general example. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, a, that's a sort of, that's a sign that, you know, this isn't physiological, this isn't something about your body or um, this is most likely something about what your mind is up to with anxiety um but that and then and then there are also you know the physiological signs of of anxiety that are real telltale like um you know feeling kind of sick feeling trembly you know over the top butterflies in your stomach kind of thing Mm -hmm. um you know and you know that you've you know that you've gotten a good night's sleep and you know you've had breakfast and all of those yeah. things and yet you you still feel very weak. Those are, you know, those are signs that, you know, your anxiety is getting the better of you, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, this is and, this is maybe like a definition type question here, but 
our anxiety and st- I'm like I'm thinking about as you're saying this it reminds me so much of what we talk about with like good stress and bad stress stress mm-hmm. versus anxiety are the what would the distinction between the two be now that I'm thinking it <laughs> yeah so I I sort of see stress as um sort of out usually outside factors that you mm-hmm. can account for that are that are I mean we all have stressors um so you know, things that you can sort of look at in your life that are causing you stress. So, um, you know, perhaps you, you got lost on the way to the race and that has freaked you out. Or, um, you know, you realize that you didn't pack something that you need and that freaks you out. You know, those are stressors. I mean, they're very they're pretty minor stressors in the large picture of things, but at the time they seem big. Mm-hmm. Um Anxiety is more, I mean, anxiety is really more something that is a naturally occurring phenomenon for human beings. And, 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 you know, we have evolved to have anxiety actually to protect us from getting eaten by a saber-toothed tiger. Um, and, you know, we, we need anxiety. And it's only when it sort of becomes dysfunctional at times do we want to sort of change it or get rid of it or tinker around with it but it but it's actually a useful tool and you can use it to your benefit um in sport um so those that's kind of how i I mean i think there is probably a much more clinical definition of stressors but that's kind of how i see it yeah that's great very external versus internal i like that a lot yeah that's kind of right right and you know, it's really how you sort of process and perceive those stressors, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, how yeah. anxiety, anxious they make you. Yeah. So on the note of harnessing our anxiety and using it for good, superhero style, <laughs> how can we do that? <laughs> so I think a big, a big part of it is to sort of try, I mean, this takes practice. You can't just do it on race day, but to try to take the nervous feelings that are just you're just inevitably going to have and reframe that as sort of like this is good you know I should be feeling this way um this is excitement this is um you know sort of anticipatory feelings about doing a particular activity mm-hmm. um there's also a large amount I you know I I I am a big I I love Buddhist psychology and I think Buddhist psychology and Buddhism sort of has a lot to offer us in terms of strategies to manage anxiety but you know buddhists buddhists talk a lot about acceptance and um just accepting things as they are and that's really really helpful if you can sort of begin to practice that as sort of um just coming to to something and if it's really if it's really difficult or really challenging just trying to accept that um rather than trying to change it both in your mind and in circumstances. Um, yeah. Um, so imagery. Can, you, can you think of a time in a race, like, could you give kind of, I guess, an example of like having that happen to you and kind of getting through it? Yeah. So let me think. Um, you know, I think um, there have been times where, like, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a nervous rider when it's wet. Mm-hmm. I don't particularly love riding when it's really wet. And there was a duathlon that I went to um, last year where it was just 
pouring rain. And, you know, I just sort of got there and I was like, you know, this is how it is. I'm just going to have to do, I'm just going to have to ride my best and, and ride as, as hard as I can and, and get through this. And sort of just, I mean, that's sort of a very mundane, because it's weather, but mundane example, but it's sort of just sort of being confronted with what is and rather than spending a lot of mental energy wishing that it wasn't so mm-hmm. accepting it and trying to move on. Um, so, you know, and I think a, a, a steeper thing that I've had to try to accept, and a lot of people may relate to this, is not having a body that's particularly athletic. <laughs> you know, I, I, I have not been blessed with um, a very athletic physique or and I'm also an older person, and so there's a lot of challenges associated with that, and 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 just having to accept the fact that I'm probably never going to podium, <laughs> and I'm never, you know, and, I, and, <laughs> never I'm, say and never. I'm not going to be winning a whole. <laughs> never say never, but um, you know that it's it's um, you know, I think athletes are are often struggling with this of sort of trying to work with the body that they have, and mm-hmm. um. Sometimes that can cause a lot of anxiety and unhappiness for people. And um, so acceptance of the body that you have and the capabilities that come with that body is often a big big piece of what we have to cope with. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think, I think it's getting better. I was about to say, you know, it's, it's hard when every cover of every, you know, runner's world and triathlete and bicycling and whatever is, Mm -hmm. you know, super fit stereotypical athlete. But I think we are getting a bit more representation of different types of athletes kind of across the board, but it's, it's very slow. It's not happening very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think, and you know, and I and I think there's a big, yeah, there's a big gap between sort of what the media, what the media shows in terms of people's bodies and things, and and how it feels to actually be at a race. I mean, I I always feel very accepted, and and people are very friendly and nice. So mm-hmm. it's not like people are sort of rejecting, but um, and that helps. Yeah, but, but we're getting off topic a little bit, so. Only a um, little. Also, I will side note here, sidebar, I have gotten my butt kicked by a 54-year-old in this one local triathlon for 10 years <laughs> running. So at some point, I'm going to get her, but it might be when she's in like the 70-plus category. I'm not sure. So you can yeah, be I mean, super I think, fast. <laughs> well, totally. I mean, my, my coach is always telling me it's not, it's not so much age especially in endurance sports. I don't, I don't think it's so much age. I think it, but for me, it definitely weight is the, you know, the, the weight to kilogram or the, whatever that's called, the, the ratio, um, is always a challenge. Mm-hmm. So, but, but back to you know, you just keep, <laughs> you keep, you have to accept, but you also have to, it's sort of walking that edge of accepting, but also striving for goals. So, yeah, um, definitely. And that's, that's kind of one of the big things is like, finding like figuring out what that tipping point is when the striving is is more anxiety inducing than it is positive and I think that's really hard for a lot of athletes it is very hard for a lot of athletes I um and I you know I think good coaching can help with that sometimes Mm -hmm. because you're getting the perspective of someone who's not sort of emotionally 
saturated in your experience yes um and can look at things a little bit more objectively or just having some good friends who you're also working out with but Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah that is it's it's a hard one to manage and balance yeah Um, oh and i mean this kind of comes almost back to what we were first talking about where I was saying, you know, for a lot of athletes, well, anxiety, like most people get prescribed exercise for anxiety. Sometimes mm-hmm. we get into that, like, you know, we're training and all of that become anxiety inducing, but is the answer to stop training? Like, how do we, how do we handle when we know we've tipped over that edge and we're now kind of doing more damage to ourselves by <laughs> continuing to train? Do we just like, stop right. or how no do no don't stop <laughs> no i think you know i think it's i mean this is where this this word that now we're hearing so much that it I, that i almost um reluctant to use it because it's lost its meaning to some extent but but this is where mindfulness comes in mm-hmm. of sort of um bringing yourself back to to sort of an awareness of the present moment you know, and sort of, and all, but also an awareness of one's intention, which is really important. I mean, I really, I see all of us in sport as sort of, all of us have a little mission statement attached to us, you know, like what, why are we doing this? Why, mm-hmm. you know, what, why is this meaningful to us? And sort of coming back to that point and in a very conscious way and sort of um, being able to sort of be present and aware in the moment and sort of saying, okay, you know, maybe I'm feeling really bad today, but just for today, I am going to do, you know, I'm going to do this workout and I'm going to do this workout to the best of my ability. Mm-hmm. And, um, but that involves not sort of, not push, pushing, not pushing the anxiety aside, but sort of having the anxiety come along for the ride um, with that whole thing. Yeah, that's, I like that a that's lot. That's kind of how I see it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny in yoga class and yoga teacher training, you know, it's all about intention and, you know, every class starts with like, let's set an intention for our practice and you take yeah. time to do mm-hmm. that. You never do that with your workout, do you? Right. <laughs> Rarely. <laughs> like I never Rarely. sit down and like take some deep breaths before I go for a run and like, think, okay, my intention for this run is, I'm usually just like, I got to right. get out the door and get this done. I have an hour and I need to get these intervals. And totally. Do yep. That's totally true. But yep. that like short intention setting that we have from yoga class, if we just shifted that to our workout, <laughs> I think it would probably do so much good. It, I think it would really be helpful. Yeah. It's so funny. Um, I never thought about it that way. <laughs> um, you know, I think I, um, my coach uses training peaks and I actually find something like, I mean, I don't, I'm not saying everyone should use training peaks, but I, I find something like that kind of helpful with mini intentionality because each, you know, each thing has a kind of focus and you can kind of place your attention on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> it doesn't always work, but <laughs> it's a place to start anyway. It's a good it's a good place to start at the very least. Um, so are you are you a fan of meditation or any of that type I of am, stuff? yeah. I I I am a fan, but I um have to say that I'm not a very consistent meditator. Um yep. so <laughs> I mean certainly all the all the scholarly studies about meditation have been nothing but positive and I think, you know, athletes could really 
benefit from it, but it's sort of like adding another thing for people to do at the same time is sometimes a difficult sell. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's incredibly helpful of sort of training your mind to drop down into the present moment and really tune into how is my body feeling right now? What am I feeling right now? You know, um, what are my thoughts right now? And just sort of trying to be um, very in touch with whatever is going on for you at that moment mm-hmm. can really translate into into other things very well when you practice that. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I have to admit, I am literally the world's worst meditator. I either get like more <laughs> hyped up or I fall asleep. So during yoga teacher training, anytime they did like a guided meditation, I was out like a light. <laughs> <laughs> very relaxed when I woke up <laughs> but... it, it's great well so on some level you know it's possible that on some level even though you're sleeping you, you're taking it in yeah, um, yeah I was just like I clearly just needed a nap I must be sleep deprived I'm trying right. but yeah it's funny it's I important. we all know that it's you know there's never been a study that's like meditation is bad for you yeah. Right. <laughs> somehow it's like the one thing that so many people I know just cannot get on board with. I just read some kind of joke that was just like, if you're meditating, you know, your life must be really bad that you're like willing to go down that road. <laughs> and I was like, oh man, that's so true. It's only when things are starting to get really out of hand that I'm like, I'm going to start meditating again. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say that, you know, for those of us that do quite a bit of running, anything aerobic or running or cycling or even maybe lifting weights, you can sort of do mini meditation mm-hmm. or sort of quasi meditation while doing those. I mean, you can sort of, if you, if you say to yourself, I'm really going to pay attention to this. I've been doing a lot of track workouts, so I keep using track as an example, but um, you know, I'm really going to pay attention to this one loop. I'm going to really pay attention to what, you know, what is it my breathing feel like? What do you know, my feet, my sneakers feel like and all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, that's actually, that's, a very that's a huge challenge it's really hard to do but that is that's meditative I mean that is sort of the spirit of meditation yeah which is following following whatever your experience is in that moment yeah I think a year ago now we had on um, Mackenzie Havy who wrote a book called um, Mindful Running and it's one of my favorite reads as far as like, oh, figuring out how to I'll meditate to that. yeah you'll have to read it and yeah. go back and listen to that episode it's she's amazing it's a really good mm. book too. Yeah, that sounds excellent. Um, yeah, it was really helpful to me because it, it kind of let me off the hook for meditating. <laughs> um, there you go. <laughs> yeah. So other than other than meditation, whether it's moving meditation or actually like doing right. proper meditation, any other I guess um, I know you're you're very heavily into cognitive behavior therapy. Any other kind of blanket exercises that people can do to kind of calm anxiety? Um, You know, I think that, I mean, this is just, this is kind of obvious, but it's paying attention to what your mind is up to. So, Mm -hmm. you know, our minds just give us all kinds of really unhelpful information a lot of times. And I think with athletes, this this is around a lot of things like um, comparing yourself to other athletes or other people's performance. Um, usually almost always negatively, (laughs) um, 
and you know sort of trying to get on top of those kinds of thoughts um and also sort of practicing when you're not in a race situation but just sort of try to practice fairly regularly um really Im- imagining or imaging in your mind um you know, positive and happy outcomes if you can. Mm-hmm. So um, that is actually, I mean, it sounds so, it sounds maybe sounds a little hokey, but it's actually really powerful um, because it's sort of training the monkey mind to um, behave <laughs> a little bit more in a way that we want it to rather than giving us a lot of um, often unhelpful stuff and data. Yeah. Um you know, and that could, I mean, I'm a writer, so often I will write things down that oh, I would like, yeah. my goals, that I would like to achieve. And I, I think that's really powerful. Um, yeah, if um, I don't write it down, like, you should see my to-do list. It is the most <laughs> obsessive, excessive thing. I was trying to show it to a bunch of 15-year-old girls at the last camp I was coaching, and they were all just like, oh, this sounds really cool. And they looked at it, they're like, we can't do this. This is way too over the top. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, but I need it. It's the only way I can get through. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it, it, you have to sort of know yourself and know what kind of person you are. Like, I I find that writing writing down my goals and and my and sort of more positive outcomes and things is really helpful to me. And as almost part of a to do list, you you know, other people may find that not very helpful. So yeah. you have to sort of know how your own mind works. But definitely for everybody, I think, sort of, and this is sort of, I guess this sort of relates to meditation, is sort of being more consciously aware of what your mind is telling you mm-hmm. and um, really trying to actively redirect that um, is a helpful thing to do. Yeah. Because otherwise what we end up doing a lot of times is, is I think a lot of us, think that if we beat ourselves up and sort of give ourselves a sort of negative pep talk it's going to work and that that isn't really effective actually yeah yeah and I mean all of that mindfulness stuff does come back to we were first talking about with anxiety being you know you're focused too much on the past so for an athlete it's you know you're too focused on a bad race that happened you know last week or last year or you're too focused on the present or sorry you're too focused on the future which is sort of that like I'm, you know, in the middle of the race and I'm already sort of thinking about what my finish is going to look like, whether it's, whether for better or worse, I'm already like, oh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat my opponent. So I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to come in fifth or whatever. And I'm already thinking that. So I'm pretty much doomed to come in fifth at that point. So yeah, yeah, that's really true. I mean, I find that so true with running. Like if I, if I am at a point in a race where I'm like, realize I'm not going to get a PR for myself. I'm mm-hmm. just like, oh, forget it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Just, like, go down to like <laughs> zone one of my, my, yep. my pace. <laughs> yep. 100%. I'm just going to throw in the towel now. Yeah. So yeah, you just, you know, and, and all to say that as much as we all work on this, um, it's very hard. It's very hard to be present and mindful, and and sort of also and and aware of what are, of what is happening inside there. Um, mm-hmm. it, it takes a lot of skill, and it it takes a lot of practice. Yeah. So you know, Buddhist monks spend their entire lives working on this. So 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> don't don't beat yourself up if you haven't figured it out in a day. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yep. Oh, that's great. That's true. Um, and then I think yeah. the the last thing I wanted to ask you about is so we've had a couple of sports psychologists on and we're constantly mm-hmm. referring people that we talk to. Like I write it in articles all the time. Peter refers clients. I refer clients. We're always like, Oh, go see a sports psych or go see a, you know, cognitive behavior therapist, go see a therapist. Right. Um, but I think most people tend to ignore that advice because they just don't know what the heck they would say or like just even how to do that. Like I've, I'll admit, like, I've interviewed a ton of them, but I was so uncomfortable when I tried hypnotherapy because I'd never been to any kind of therapy in my life that I think that's part of why it didn't work as well for me. It was because I just couldn't get over that hurdle of, like, oh, God, what do I do here? So can you offer some maybe tips for someone who wants to get that expert help but just has no experience with it? Yeah. So, you know, I think I think referring people to sports psychologists is a good idea. Except that, in my, and, but the only caveat I would say with that is that there aren't very many of them. So, yes. I think that sometimes it it might be more accessible for people just to go see a mental health professional. And I think honestly, most it, people could use that anyway. Because usually, if you need to yeah. see a sports psych, you have a lot of other stuff that could be worked out as well. Right. Exactly. And, you know, it, it, I mean, I think it's unique to each person what, what they may want to tackle, but I do, th- I do think it should be, I mean, you should see somebody who feels comfortable to you when you see them. And we are a sort of weird animal, I think, us endurance athletes. And sometimes people, I mean, I know my colleagues at work have a really difficult time understanding why I do what I do. Like, they just think I'm weird. Um, so it it's good to find somebody who can kind of understand and relate to what you're doing and why it's important. I think a lot of people sort of fail to understand why why doing endurance sports would be important to somebody. Mm-hmm. I know that some. So, but the the take home message overall is just to try to find somebody who you feel you can um, feel comfortable with being being honest with them, um, and that it feels safe to you mm-hmm. in there. And that, and that's first and foremost, I would say. Beyond, you know, I I wouldn't. People get very hung up on like what technique people do or sort of like theoretically where are people coming from and that's sometimes relevant but it's not as important I think as somebody who just feels um relatable to you yeah um and because the the key to this really is going to be being able to sit down and relax with somebody enough to be able to make yourself a little bit vulnerable and Mm -hmm. talk about what's on your mind um so that they can really help you yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah. a lot of people make that mistake of, yeah, they go in to one person and it is super uncomfortable and they leave and they're like, okay, that was not for me in general. Right. <laughs> Versus yeah. that person was yeah. not for me. Right. It's very, I mean, it's not, it's, I'm, I'm not going to, I don't want to sugarcoat it. It's not, it's not always an easy process to find somebody yeah. that is the right fit. 
Um, but it, but I think you make a really good point of don't get discouraged just because once it doesn't feel like it clicks. Yeah. So shop around. Be you know be a good consumer to yourself and mm-hmm. and look. I mean I think it's just important to um, find somebody who feels like they hear you and understand you. Yeah. Amazing. And how can people get in touch with you if they have any more questions? Um, they have, they have access to my website, yeah. which I think is kathyherzog.com or something like I that. I believe I it is. Yeah. I'll, I'll link to your <laughs> site in the show notes for and sure. Yeah. And there's contact information on there. People are welcome to get in touch with me that way. Um, I think my email is on there. That's probably the easiest way to reach me because I'm not always available to talk on the phone. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's funny. We run a podcast and still phones scare the crap out of me. And I will always opt for email over phones, (laughs) except in podcast situations. But this has been this has been so much fun chatting with you. I'm so excited we got to do this. I think, you know, as we've seen in recent weeks, you know, the topic of anxiety and, you know, even just the psychological component to athlete health is, you know, it's just so important and it's so important to be able to talk about it and have these discussions. So I really appreciate you the time. Well, thank you for, for inviting me. I, I appreciate you giving me that opportunity and it's been a lot of fun to chat with you. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, You can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out wideanglepodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone, and it really helps us out. Thanks so much, and we will see you next week.